double, basically. I'm not doing that. No. Not worth it. We're recording. Oh. Yeah, I looked away for a second. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. Um, uh, I'm Spencer, and Joel's here, what too. What do you think about the amount of money the average American makes? Was that a line in a movie? If you could climb any mountain, what mountain would you pick? I'm, I'm pretending to be Godard, oh. saying random questions to the actor in the middle of scenes. <laughs> it's oh, their okay. earpiece. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I will, uh, I will pepper this throughout the... No, I won't do that. That okay. would be really irritating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is two or three things I know about her. The first uh, of two... Um, two no. or three. Yeah. Uh, where am I going with this? This is this this pairing is also has Belle de Jour, which we'll record probably a month from now, two months from now. So this is going this is way ahead of time. Um. Yeah. So uh, because Belle de Jour is technically a co-production with Italy, so it counts. And uh, yeah. So we re- we brought back. I think the second person we recorded with, like five years ago, I think, almost really? to the. Was I the two, first? The, the I was the second person, or what did you se- say? Second person recorded with the first one. He died a couple of years ago. Oh, oh, okay. You're uh, in peace, Kevin. Uh, you're next. No. That, that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad to be back. You didn't say his name. Who? I said, rest in peace, Kevin. No, I said Randall. You didn't say oh, Randall's Randall. name. Okay. I can introduce myself if that helps. <laughs> uh, You're making the guests do the work. Yeah, I'm, I'm Randall. Uh, I was I was here uh, some time ago uh, uh, for another uh, episode. And yeah, I'm glad to be back here for two or three things I know about her. And my, my credentials for this is that... Uh, uh, I have occasionally directed a thing or two. Sometimes I uh, claim that they were influenced by Godard. So that's that's mm. uh, that's what I what I bring to the table, guys. All right. Oh, interesting. All right. So um, uh, I, I watched. Let's, let's, let's just get to the meat here, Spencer. Yes. <laughs> Hot or cold? Uh, very cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one Godard, the only Godard I'm not cold with is My Life to Live. Besides that, it's just like, I understand, I see the importance, I see the influence, I just, I, I kind of, like, I, I kind of don't care. Wait, did you say you like, you like My Life to Live? That's the one. Oh my god, I, I feel, I, I might be wrong about this, but didn't I recommend to you that you should totally watch that one because that's the the one that's Mizuguchi flavored, or did you had you already seen it then? No, it, it was because of you. Oh, nice! Oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, the rest are kind of like, I don't know. It's it's Godard, I guess. <laughs> I don't feel much <laughs> about his movies really. Godard, he was there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I understand. Um, 
we were both very tepid on Breathless. Just, I, I think actually you you liked it even a little bit more than I did, and uh, it's yeah, you, you seem to have a big problem with the Jean Paul Belmondo character. Yeah, it just bounce off hard of the toxic stuff going on there, but uh, this one is so different in my opinion than that one that that i guess the changing of the formula wasn't enough for you in this case nah it's it it, it's interesting but it's kind of like i watched it for fun like uh, earlier this year i was like okay i'm gonna force myself to watch more godar and then halfway through i was like maybe i shouldn't watch more godar for fun (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is definitely uh, where he really started to check out on um, having it be even ostensibly a movie, and uh, you know the American filmmaking form that he sort of had used previously as a method of pulling all his his uh, references together. Like he he started to abandon that at this point, really, and now all that's left basically are just the endless quotations endless references um and i mean he basically you know stayed in this mode uh for the rest of his career and uh uh, even abandoning cinema or like the american narrative structure even more than this does which i mean this feels like it's barely got any of it but eventually he just does does away outright with the even concept of characters really yeah like this like watching this was like oh i can like with like the refer- referential element, like oh, I see why Tarantino is compared to um, Godard so much. Like it, this is uh, like kind of the same thing he does. This uh, movie, yeah. What? <laughs> All what of our... which which Tarantino movie you're comparing this movie to? Uh, Once Upon a Time on Hollywood, like, this the slow pace and, like, uh, nothing really matters. <laughs> At least... That would be the only one that I'm... I, I think I can kind of see what you are what you mean with that, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, has, like, a real uh, lack of clear narrative drive, which I, I like about that. It's, it's totally a rambling, uh, sort of, some stuff happens movie. And, I mean, this is similarly, like, some stuff happens, and it's not clear... What's a beginning? What's a middle? What's an end, or anything? Yeah, but the yeah. key, the, the key for a stuff happens movie is, is the, is, the, are are the people interesting to me? And for me, like for once upon a time, it's like no, I don't care about anyone in this movie. And this this movie's like, there's I guess one character really, and then everyone else is kind of like, you see some people return, but there's one real character. Like, I'll be honest, I watched this two days ago, and I kind of, it's already leaving my mind. Like, I'm having trouble remembering. It's you... its very hard to hold hold in the mind, is what I, I mean. I've seen it several times over the last few years, and I watched it, um, uh, I knew that it would be difficult to sort of talk about it because of how, uh, uh, how uh, cloudy this movie is in general. So I watched it again last night. I've been sort of reading about it just so I'd sort of have some frame of reference for for this thing and yeah i mean without characters to really latch on to and without really plot and really just sort of images especially a lot of images of advertisements and um paris being rebuilt 
uh, and narration that you can never really grab hold of, uh, it's it's hard to really uh, have it as a solid object in your mind at any point. Mm. I don't think you... Yeah. I, I think... Uh... I'm not... I'm actually not... Um, uh, uh, criticizing it for it because I I, I like no, it uh, no. quite a bit I in under- its own way. Um, yeah, I, no, I understand what you're what yeah. you're saying. I mean, it'd be like anything you know, going to a poetry reading. It'd be like going to a philosophy class. It'd be going to a uh, I don't know some some other artistic thing where it's so many different things can happen in an obscure way that yeah, your brain is just going to not retain anything. Mm-hmm. Although how you wouldn't be able to retain two prostitutes putting travel bags on oh, yeah. their heads and marching back and forth. I don't, I don't know. There, how there, you would. Yeah. There are a handful of moments that really jump out and are immediately sort of famous. I mean, there's that, there's the coffee, the um, mega close up of the coffee and the liquid spinning inside of it. And then I think the last shot is also a pretty impressive sort of, you know, it every once in a while it makes you really feel like, hey, maybe there there is some sort of cogent thought somewhere in here, um, and I think that last shot uh, makes it sure makes it seem like it's all uh, uh, um, part of a grand design. Whether whether it's not and whether it's just all improvised, it seems like it is. I don't know, but that it's starting on. Um, I forget what exactly it is, but some sort of product, and then zooming out and revealing like a little miniature city of products sitting in the grass, is mm. is really an interesting uh, bit. Yeah, I mean the the changeover from uh, you know process of replacing the older structures inside the the city, you know, making making Paris uh, more functional by repairing bridges and painting things that have been painted. And like the feeling that like, well, I know that this is a good thing, but I also think that we're taking away the character here, like making a commercialization, like you, you make the bridges, these bright colors. There's that one point where you see two men on either side of a bridge painting uh, towards the middle, towards each other in like a red color and the product boxes at the end, you know, with their reds and yellows and things like that. Uh, it's it's not like a necessarily a negative commentary. Like it's just a little sad, and the 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 mm. character, if there is a main character in this movie, you know the woman, uh, you know she doesn't laugh, she doesn't smile. This this is a sad kind of movie in general to me, and uh-huh. and I think what I respond mostly to is the feelings that I get watching it and the fact that. I don't really know any other movie that's kind of like this. Now, uh, Randall, you're saying this is basically what he did after this from now on. So yeah, maybe. yeah. I mean, it, all of it turns into this, but um, with mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he evolves in certain ways. He changes approaches, but but this general form of like weird essay thing that has moments of pretending it's a narrative that is sort of what he stuck with for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, it's an experimentation, and I think it's a very, I think it's a successful experimentation because he made something that at least I think is is very interesting, and um, purpose, you know, it's purposely dense. Like, yeah, they're they're getting interrupted in the middle of the script because there was a script, but he was also asking questions, 
just suddenly like interrupting the actors flows and getting into them or under them or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I can't help but love a movie that's criticizing America and there's, there's <laughs> plenty of that in there. Yeah. So. About it is like, yeah, you can, uh, if, if you don't know about it, it explains an awful lot when you realize that he had earpieces on the actors and was sort of feeding them lines and things like that. That explains so much of what's going on. But then I think you can see that like the actors think that a normal movie is going to be made of this. Like, mm-hmm. like you can th- see that, um, especially um, Marina Vladi, who is the main character, main actress, she is sort of, she believes that this will turn into a narrative and many of the other actors, you know, they're doing, they're trying to be characters. They're trying to like move around as though a plot will eventually be constructed from this. Um, and then we're just sort of like watching these, like, it, it seems like you're watching the rushes from a movie that Godard didn't bother to make. And he instead mm-hmm. inserted these rushes in amongst all his other footage and his narration. Um, like these, these actors have no idea what the actual, movie they're in is they they're in a separate movie that we don't really get to see it it plays out like they're living just their regular lives like if they were you know if this this woman had to uh what's uh, moonlight as a as a prostitute to to make ends meet for their their children and uh the husband i guess works in that garage um (laughs) And like you know, she goes she goes clothes shopping. She goes uh, talking with her friends, hangs out at the cafe, order a nice Coca Cola. Uh, that wasn't her, but you know they're ordering those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, plenty of pinball. It, you know, got to get that in there. I love that pinball scene because it's there's this conversation that's pretty good, like one of the most actual conversation, like acting moments in the movie but then like he just has to have the pinball machine right behind them like making hideous like you know it's very loud it's like overwhelming all the all the audio and that's that's such an interesting a very good darn thing to do to like and uh, most commercially minded directors would be like oh well let's get rid of that it's lousing up our conversation but he's just like oh good it sounds horrible wonderful sure yeah and then it shows that the world is going on even if you are sitting there yeah being slightly i mean those guys are being slightly philosophical i don't know what the uh, people with the books that seem to be just writing down random (laughs) lines like they're making their own uh mishmash book or something or and while ordering a mayonnaise egg which made me throw up in my mouth (laughs) i don't know what that is it's probably delicious it just those two things together sound really gross This feels like the way, like the way it's probably blow up in another episode is like it feels like a like a forty five year old suburban dad just trying to make a cool art film. That's just like random nonsense. This is like what if blow up was just like kind of boring to me in terms of like just how I reacted to it. Where like I just like like I just can't follow any anything that's happening. It's just like. Why are you trying to follow things? But it's just like I'm trying to pay attention, but like I, after like five minutes, I'd get sleepy and tired. And this was like at seven at night after I just eaten and, and like cleaned up the kitchen a little bit. So I, I'm wide awake, and it's like after five minutes, 
every five minutes or so, I'm just like, wake up. I, th- wake I up, think you're right on. that it's a this pretty is... sleepy movie sometimes, but that yeah, that goes with later period Godard especially. I have my notes several times. Focus, <laughs> pay attention. Um, it's it's just so funny because like we we just talked about possession, uh, and like I bounced off of possession much harder than I did any any part of this movie. Like that I wasn't checking the time when I was watching this movie. Like I was in, just for some reason it holds my attention all you, the way to the end. You know what I think helps with the holding attention because when you're on its wavelength and when you're on the wavelength of a Godard, it can become sort of entrancing. I think. And I think a big part of that, and something that's not often enough sort of noticed about Godard, but is, I think, what's holding it all together, is that he is kind of a stealthily um, incredible visual stylist. And he has a lot of different modes to what he does, but everything he makes has a, has a stylishness to its, its visuals. Um, and he's able to do it when he's in Cinemascope, like here, and he's able to do it when he's in black and white or when he's in color. And he just has um, an awareness of what each lens does and what to take in or out of the frame and um, uh, how to play those bright colors that he does. You know, lots of people try. It's kind of like Wes Anderson where people think that it's the most obvious thing and it's real easy to just sort of do it. And they get a camera and they try and line up the thing. And it turns out it's actually incredibly sophisticated what um both Wes Anderson and Godard do with their um with their framings I think Godard is really pulled together a lot of the time by uh, a sort of unacknowledged visual um skill that he has and even in something as rough as Breathless like he knows just how to isolate certain things in the frame and where to do it um to to make it off kilter and make it feel like there's a lot of um, intentionality and that intentionality sort of grabs you and makes you think like what what what's he going for what's the what's the angle here I don't know what do you guys think does does, does it look good <laughs> uh, it looks like a moot it looks like a movie <laughs> I can say that <laughs> I think I mean yeah. even there's a little bit houses and streets and stuff you know it's not gussied up much by lighting or um you know set decoration or anything he it's taking real normal life and somehow making it cinematic uh randall you got something on your side that's causing like a huge amount of static oh really yeah every once in a while it's just is it is it happening right now no no okay. right now you're fine i will just stay very still maybe it's something in my wire Yes, I need you to uh, get get your wife to strap you down. Okay. Put your face towards the microphone. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> see, like, uh, there, there are some... Because uh, the second time I watched a movie, and uh, this is one, like, when I saw it, like, a decade ago or whatever, and this was definitely a Criterion and Alphabet situation where start off with a number and then A, B, C, D, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I just walked into it blind. Um, I, I was like, I have to own this movie. And then, like, I, I just like with everything else, I, I buy it and then I keep it on the shelf. And it's, it's it's like this thing that's like, I might be able to bring this out and show it to somebody. <laughs> uh, and I have shown it to one of my friends. And I, I think he was kind of like, yeah, it was fine. Like, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But uh, 
he does he does do these like long um panning shots and there is one sequence where uh the the actress is just kind of like out outdoors and going around these uh corners and it's like three shots in a row of her starting from the left side of the screen and then her going around the corner and the camera following the whole time in the pan shot as she goes to the right side and then it immediately transitions into another one where she's going from the left all the way to the right until the last one and it, like little touches of creativity here uh, that that go in and it, it like I think the worst thing I could say about the movie is that it is a huge mishmash of a, a whole bunch of ideas. But for some reason, I it doesn't bother me. But, but, I, I, Spencer, I know I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it's because just like, if you fell asleep during this movie, I would understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this is, uh, it's it's not a movie uh, uh, for everyone, and in fact, not just you know not having a taste for it, but really this is a movie that sort of insists like hey you do the work like the movie isn't actually giving you all that much to like latch onto it's it's sort of um insisting that you make it meaningful it's it's sort of not meaningful uh, on its on its own unless you're sort of under you know um filling in the gaps that's how i treat all artwork Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you say that but i think of like uncle boo and me which doesn't explain anything. It's kind of like, like it's it's vaguely like uh, folklore mythology from Thailand mixed with like other stuff, and that's a movie yeah. that like makes me cry, even just with, like the top, even think about the ending, like that like hits me hard. And this is like doing a similar thing. It's just like I got nothing. Like it's. It's not bad. It's just like it's like every other Godard, basically. It's just like it re- reminds I, me a lot I, of. I just the, don't. Oh, what? Some of the other new wave stuff, you know, like I like part of it reminds me of Vagabond, uh, Vagabond with the uh, interviews going on yeah. uh, in between the but, the narrative part of the movie. Yeah, but Varda then, knows how to like make things emotional and make you care, and this mm-hmm. is like daring you to like. Feel like it's there, and you like, can you care about this? And it's like, no, I, I I can't care about this. It's like it's just. I mean, you, if you don't care about the characters, I understand. But what the movie is talking about, I'm not talking. I'm not how... not the character, just like the movie itself. Like it's there, and you like to just like to, it's like to care about but what's happening. Of... Going... I don't. A lot of the movies talking about capitalism and how fucked up it is. I think. I, I guess. Think... I think you ought to check out a movie, you might have heard of it, that came out recently called Godard Mon Amour, which is a, a sort of biopic of Godard um, right about at this era. And like you would mention that it kind of feels, this movie kind of feels like an uncool older guy trying to like be the coolest cat around. And this movie, Godard Mon Amour, basically portrays him exactly as that. And... This, it's this same era where he has abandoned his former models of American cinema and he wants to become a leftist revolutionary and he you know he's telling Truffaut and them like let's let's abandon all our money-making movies and become uh, true revolutionaries and they're like no and um, uh, I mean this movie Godard Mon Amour is really interesting because it, it attempts to be really a kind of a brutal takedown 
of Godard and portray him as sort of um, abandoning his own art, his his creativity in pursuit of being a le- this um, legitimate artistic revolutionary that he's sort of unable to force himself into being. And you know, I, I of course uh, love him and his later works as well and that era. But you know, there's always room for criticism and. Uh, especially once you learn some of the things about him uh, uh, in his sort of attempt to become this revolutionary. Uh, you know, there's plenty to criticize and sort of make fun of. And, you know, like you said, he is kind of that older guy trying to be the cool cool cat. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah, the criticism politics stuff, but, like, it just feels like... I mean, it, I mean, it literally is, like, a random collage but it's like the thing sure. of like if you don't like if if you don't get don't get it like if if the if the presentation just doesn't appeal to you then then it's lost completely. Yeah, that could be. I mean, that could be said for any movie. That could be said for the Transformers movie, like we were talking about before yeah. we were recording. <laughs> but no, like the uh, like, but this feels like playtime. But like, what if playtime wasn't fun? Almost. Like well, the I was way, thinking. Uh, uh, what? What? The how do you feel about the movie Slacker? Uh, I I haven't seen it yet. Okay, it's it kind of reminds me of that too because it, it is that's just a series of like encounters with characters in in this town blah blah blah, and uh, it's it's not a narrative film. It doesn't have anything. You're you're not gonna find a character that you're like oh I'm gonna hold on to this person. But that's like one of my favorite movies. So maybe I've, this is just me. It's a Joel problem. I, I think uh, Playtime is an interesting comparison because Playtime also is this sort of movie about buildings and this movie yeah. about uh, um, a city. Um, and it also is sort of free of typical narrative conventions. Uh, it, it is, of course, a lot more approachable because there are at least consistent characters that go through the whole thing and have little journeys and all that. But yeah. and, um, and I, like, I can it, see that. Yeah, It's the one where, like, well, actually the last two. Uh, Hulo movies, it's like 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 Hulo is barely in it, which mm-hmm. is like part of the fun of it. It's like it's just like random people in modern Paris, and Hulo kind of shows up here and there, uh, like whenever, basically whenever like you know it's been too long without him, and like I that movie is to me brilliant and like heartfelt and touching and like and funny and it ha- has like, tattoo magic and this kind of is a similar thing of like with ideas but but i think it's just like with tati it's funny so like i can absorb it easier and this is like uh like like a like a high level college course where i had where i have not taken any of the pre- prereq classes and it's like i don't sure i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean godard godard is funny sometimes but i mean not I don't think there's too much of his his funny side in this. I mean, his funny side sort of travel leads. bags on their heads. <laughs> That's I true. don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. I I'm watched the movie. Like I'm going to day- a picture over the phone. Okay, I watched it two days ago. I don't remember what you're talking about at all. I think his humor sort of gradually leaves him as Anna Karina leaves him. So, like, mm. the less of her is around, the more of a bitter scold he is and he can still be funny but only in the bitterest way and i think that uh the the 
the bags on the heads is very much him at maximum bitter uh, uh, humor. I mean, it's yeah, just funny how blunt it is, you know. Because this is when he was with um, the redhead who was in Teorama, um, who looks like the redhead German version of Anna Karina. Ah, but um, this, uh, um, just prior to the filming of this, I, I know a bunch of extra textuals that we don't have to get into if we don't want to, but um, he proposed to Marina Vladi, uh, the star of this, right before um, filming started. And she turned him down, and um, and then he was a real bummer, apparently. <laughs> and he was real mean uh, and lame on set. Uh, um, and Not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, that's him. Yeah, I don't remember this scene at all. You don't? Okay. I watched the movie. I just don't remember. I, like, I don't know if you did watch the movie. <laughs> she meets up with another woman for a, a to meet up with a John who is a, a French guy who's pretending to be an American man for some reason. He just wears a big American flag on his shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I this feels like a prank. I don't I really don't remember what you're talking about. I remember the ending scene. I remember like some of the rain I remember like the uh support actors like looking at the camera like as a documentary. And the husband, I guess it's the husband who's listening to Vietnam radio or something. Yeah. And that's his job. That's, that's his pastime. Pat, that's his favorite uh, thing to do. Oh, uh, okay. And <laughs> then, I don't know, this stuff happens. I, 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 my brain just like deleted the file as I was watching it. <laughs> it was like, make room. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, did you know that? Um, I mean, have you guys seen um, Made in USA, which is his sort of simultaneous movie to this? No. Okay. No, uh, that's um, the... um, it's similarly um, fragmented, but for uh, like he shot Made in USA, which stars Anna Karina, was his last one with her, um, and then. Um, went into making this, and for a brief time, he did reshoots as well on Made in USA, so for a little while, he was shooting this movie in the mornings, and then Made in USA um, at nights, and, um, like, you know, he was just getting in this huge tangle of, like, uh, um, uh, you know, actresses who he was in one way or another involved with, with Anna Karina, and uh, with Marina Vladi, and then he was also connecting with and Wiazemski, who was in the next few movies um, during that. And, you know, this is his time of, like, these movies, um, like, the plots are disappearing because, partially because, I mean, he just can't even keep them straight because he's moving so fast and doing movies simultaneous and all that. Um, and it's it's all sort of coming to a, the climax of sort of his early um, era, which is when he... Uh, next he makes La Chinois and then he makes Weekend and Weekend is the one that infamously says end of cinema at the end and that's when like it it all just falls apart and he he stops making these you know so-called narrative movies that so like like this movie um with Godard especially having that extra context really like sort of helps in a lot of ways um it is and like like you said uh Spencer like uh it is it is kind of a bummer because it's like 
uh, you need to all those prereqs for it to even make even the slightest amount of sense. And it needs you need this like uh, biography of Godard next to you for some of it. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I feel this is a problem I have with any interpretation of like a film that people consider to be like a difficult thing to consume. I think it's only as difficult as you as you make it be. Like you. If your goal is to understand everything that you watched, like movie-wise, I don't know how to survive that way. Like, because if you know where I could, I could spend time trying to puzzle out the the deeper meanings on some of the more weird stuff I've seen. Even a movie like Possession, which I think. Um, say what you will about uh, the the lines that the characters are saying in that movie it does have a beginning and an end like there's uh, there's the problem and then the conclusion to the problem and with this kind of movie uh, this movie it's all one day so if you wanted to make it something about that it's like the part where or it's not all one day i think it's it's multiple days but it, it at least it ends with them going to bed you know with the end of the whatever day they're on um it's not that kind of movie like i i don't know what else to do it's you know if you want a godard movie with a story alphaville contempt uh vivra vivra which is which is also similar to this movie, but has a beginning and end for sure. Yeah, but like uh, Anna Karina adds humanity to his movies, <laughs> like when she's in oh. them, and you know you're saying, with, and without her, it's just like I, I guess also John Pellamondo too, like the, like the star I, thing works, but like add a sense of humanity, and this just feels like there is no humanity to it. Just feels I think like... in some ways that's like I agree that like a big part of the fun of the Godard canon is watching Anna Karina slowly leave him and then watching him sort of crash and burn over these movies, but then reinvent himself. So like the like this movie, you know, I, I get what you're you're saying, Joel, that like, you know, it shouldn't be that this is only enjoyable in terms of like the context of the other works. And I think it's true that like there's plenty to enjoy for anyone coming to it, like the the aesthetics of it, and um, I mean just the the innovation of it. There's so much to enjoy, of course, but um, like taken as this sort of mega movie of Anna Karina coming in and making him as joyful as he is in A Woman Is a Woman, um, and then seeing him sort of turn into the guy making this movie in La Chinois, um uh, that becomes, especially for someone who's like really like deeply in on Godard, that sort of becomes the big mega movie of his life. Especially because when the plots start to vanish from the stories, you can really you start to see it as his story, you know. So I, I come at it from a weird context because I'm just so like I'm you know waist deep in Godard lore, so it's hard for me to separate this from sort of the the other movies. Yeah, I think you. I think you might be a Godard head. Yeah, you were on our Alphaville episode for "Please Don't Send Me Out of Space." Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, like I added this to the list. I know this Randall guy. 
<laughs> I have this to the schedule because one, I know you like it, Joel. And two, I was like, yeah, I tried to watch this the second time. And the second time, I'm still. Yeah, like. Just, Dar- just. Yeah. Like, for me, it's a still a thing of, like, of the French New Wave people, Godard is by far at the bottom of the list. Not saying mm. he's bad, but for me, it's just, no. like, it's the bottom of the list of, like, I'd rather watch movies from every other director associated with the French New Wave over mm. him. Just for, just for fun, you guys ought to at some point, like, you know, like, dive in the, the deep end of the pool with, like, his his like recent like complete insane movies that like you know he's he's trying desperately to innovate on every movie so you take this and you add 30 years to it and watch um goodbye to language um which i mean it uh uh it's it's pretty incoherent um and you know what if you're if you're very um in tune with godard you know you forgive things you say you know you have a good time with it and everything but um, you know, I'd be I'd be interested to hear what you guys what you guys uh, would think of like a movie like that, because um, yeah, he he stuck with this. He felt like you know this form that he was finding here was you know the the winner, and so he he sort of kept going with a movie or two more. He's going to retire, and you know he he's in his like eighties now, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, like Goodbye to Language is his three D movie, um. um and you know, I saw it in a theater in 3D, and like the the audience, it was a packed crowd. The whole everyone was there because you know Godard, he's he's his own sort of weird rock star, and the the crowd was very much on his wavelength because you know they were ready to just sort of see what they were subjected to, and I think they enjoyed how innovative it was, how crazy it was. But one key moment was like 10 minutes into the movie, someone in the audience just started snoring really loud. Like he really fell asleep because you know, there was just <laughs> nothing to latch up. Like he fell completely asleep and was snoring super loud. And the audience just sort of chuckled appreciatively at him. Like, you know, they, they, they knew like, yeah, I mean that, that would also be us, you know, in di- slightly different circumstances, you know, the, with, with Godard, you're sometimes you're absolutely loving it. You're so on his wavelength. And then the next moment it's like, I'm lost. I don't know what the hell's happening. And, uh, he he only went further into that. Hmm. And the only late one I would really want to watch is his King Lear. Because cause seeing the, I've <laughs> yeah. seen the cast of it, and I'm like, Molly Ringwald, Burgess Meredith, Woody Allen. It's like, uh, I kind of, Julie Delphi. Like, it, it sounds like, Molly it Ringwald. Will, yeah. And, and Canon um, was a distributor on it. Yeah, Canon Film. Uh, Canon Films, which is a, like kind of like. I never thought those two worlds would ever meet. It is very hard to see that movie. I have a VHS tape of it. Uh, it might be on a popular video site that a lot of people use that has tube in a title <laughs> it, it might be on there that's true i should look mm-hmm. for for that one I, I don't remember too much about it except that um he deploys as one of his favorite new narrative techniques and that is the sound of seagulls and i think whenever he feels like the audience might be losing 
losing attention or something, he has seagulls like squawk at full volume, like the the, the most that the that the system will allow, and it's just sort of like, what the hell was that sound? And then <laughs> and then you're back to watching um, uh, Godard's King Lear, which yeah, this is... he claims he'd never read King Lear before making it or saw it. Uh, can you clarify? Is it true? Is it a bad adaptation of it? Oh, I mean, in terms of like actual, yeah, in terms of telling the story of King Lear, it doesn't do that at all. There, uh, uh, zero. If you were to watch King Lear, watch his version of King Lear, and then try to come up with a plot of the Shakespeare, um, having not seen the Shakespeare, you would be unable. You would not at all know what had occurred. Interesting. <laughs> Who the hell am I looking at here? No, and for and for perspective, this is right after uh, Ringwald did Pretty in Pink. Uh, yep. Yeah. Godard asked you to be in a movie and be like, "Oh, I know who Godard is. Yeah, hell yeah, I'll be in your movie with uh, Peter Sellers. That that's who that is. Okay. And uh, Burgess Meredith. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Burgess Meredith plays not King Lear but Don Lero. And uh, Don Lero and Peter Sellers plays William Shakespeare Jr. the fifth, actually, mm-hmm. who is who is a character. Um, in Nobody is credited in this movie. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. So, well, two, 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 uh, two or three things. The things I do like are like the the political angle, I like the r- 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 use of red, white, and blue. As both the American flag and the French flag, which is something that I think uh, should be, uh, which uh, the you know he's criticizing France and America. Uh, what was the other thing? France was involved in Vietnam, also, right? Yes. Wait. Yeah, uh yeah. They they left the mess as colonizers, and we kind of came in. And made an even bigger mess. Right. Yeah. And it's the red, white, and blue. You know, both co- both countries have that, have those colors. Mm-hmm. And sh- showing, like, photos of, like, Vietnamese people covered in the dirt that no doubt came from some bombing in the area or whatever, like, it reminded me of... That's a total touch of Spike Lee going on there, but or the other way around, I guess, but... Yeah. being like I want you to know what I'm talking about and I want you to see what I'm talking about and yeah. feel what I'm talking about kind of thing uh, on one of the Spike Lee lists of like movies to watch in his class because I'm not sure if I talked about it on here but Jared um, Gilman uh, had some friends who took Spike Lee's class and he uh, yeah he, he said um, apparently according to his friends it's a tough class and Spike really like uh, like assumes you watched all the movies on the on the list of movies <laughs> you need to watch, and you you have to like know them back and forth and all that, <laughs> and uh, yeah. But there's at least one or two Godard on the list. I can't remember what they are, but I do remember seeing a couple of Godard on the list. Yeah, mm. I remember that. I've seen that list, and yeah, I mean, you know, he he has a pretty um. I mean, he he has that incredible uh, 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 cinephilia. He's he's not afraid of the 
the the really crazier ones of the Godard, and I mean you can see it. You can see it in his willingness to sort of rip apart narrative forms, and you know he's he's working in something a little bit more narrative normally with characters and everything, but that just makes it all the more exciting when he deploys the the Godard influence that he's you know he's carrying it around at all times, even when he's making something that seems conventional. He he can pull out those tools when it's time. Yeah. Uh... Uh, a, a friend of a show and friend of mine, Martin Kessler, like we've talked about uh, this with Antonioni, where it's like it doesn't click with us, but we like the stuff that influenced it. And the Godard's similar thing of like I don't, I'm not the biggest fan, but like I I like the stuff that it influenced later on. I think that makes sense because there's a lot of thi- like he he made a lot of cool moves that are so cool to use in other contexts. But then his own context that he's working in is, you know, pretty specific. Like, I mean, you've got to really be terrifically interested in 1960s uh, uh, French opinions of Vietnam, which, you know, not everyone is <laughs> uh, uh, for his for what he's using it for. It always makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we didn't get into it. We kind of jumped right into it. So, uh, Randall, how did you first hear about French New Wave? Uh, well, um, I think the first New Wave movie I saw was Breathless, and my relationship with the New Wave and Breathless and Godard was that when I first saw Breathless, I was kind of furious because I was I, I really was mad because it was so it seemed so amateurish, um, and I really felt like, well, why the hell am I learning how to make movies like so professional and like with tripods? When this jackass can just like get a ton of acclaim from his his like cheaply done stuff, like why can't I just do this and get a lot of praise? Um, but it clicked for me more when I saw Contempt, and I realized that he had a lot of different styles. And then I started to go into the the Truffaut, and um, Truffaut is you know very immediately accessible. I think almost all the even his more out there innovative stuff. Um, is in service of narrative so so it was so Truffaut's easy easy flow and like real real fun and everything and um, after those two you know I haven't actually dove into all that much of um, some of the other guys but um, Jacques Rivette I like a lot um, and mm-hmm. um, uh, especially Celine and Julie go boating um, um, and I, I love his like the thing that makes him unique as opposed to the other two is just that ridiculous length and the fact that he turns everything into novels. Um, yeah. And Rivet is my guy. I, I kind of like love every Rivet I've seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, um, like he's experimental, but not in terms of like, uh, like the same way Godard is where it's sort of this cubist thing that, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily have easy, easily accessible meaning. Like he, he's experimental in like where can he take the story next, and how long can he stretch this thing, and 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 all that. And so that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I started a little bit antagonistic towards this whole French New Wave thing, and like why are they so beloved? And now I just I'm I can't get enough of it. I watch as much as I you know as much as I can. You know. I, Unfortunately, I've started to run out of time to watch movies as much as I would, but um, 
yeah. Uh, I, 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 re- I recommend getting a crippling back injury. You get lots <laughs> of free time. Oh. That, I mean, that sounds that's kind of appealing in its way. Hey, I know a guy. What would you say are your favorite um, uh, friction wave movies? And they don't have to be like the best, just like the the ones emotionally that like really connect with you. Um. Well, I contempt. I think is the. Contempt is my favorite Godard, I think, and one of my v- favorite, you know, top five movies, um, because of that, uh, the the way it can it tears apart that relationship and analyzes it so it brings it so far, and then the the sort of sadness and uh, it feels towards the state of cinema and artistry, um, so those very much. And over in Truffauland, I would say um, the Antoine Duanel. Um, the whole series, but my favorite of those is Stolen Kisses. Not, I know 400 Blows is the one that's, you know, always talked about the most, but I think Stolen Kisses is really where it's at, where you really get the, um, the best version of Truffaut's sort of doomed romantic, um, thing that he does in a lot of other movies. I mean, he, I don't think he really does the 400 Blows sort of adolescent thing all that many times. He, he, I mean, he does do it a few more times, but, the, the the doomed romantic that we see in a lot of his movies, the best version of that is in Stolen Kisses, um, especially that ending where he sort of is confronted with a sort of mirror version of himself and has a has a great reaction to that. Jacques Rivette, um, like I said, Celine and Julie go boating. It's it's amazing because that movie is like a like a proto Inception or something where or like. Um, there, there has to be some modern sci-fi movie that it's, it's almost like Avengers Endgame, where they're like using some crazy method to travel into the past and affect the future. Um, but it's, it's, um, I think it's seventies by that time, but it's, it's seventies Paris and it's, um, uh, it, it's totally aesthetically different from those sorts of movies, but it, in some ways it's almost like this blockbuster in terms of the stakes and in terms of like the sci-fi that they're that they're doing, so I, I love that movie. It's so um, interesting. And then the the central female friendship that drives that goes through the whole movie. Um, I, I I guess those would be the contempt, stolen kisses, and Selena and Julie go boating. Oh, I never thought of Selena and Julie as sci-fi, but now that that adds another layer <laughs> to that amazing. I movie. mean, it's sort of you know the the time travel device. It's you know, I mean, there's no machines or buttons or anything, but it it's some it sort of functions in the same way. Going huh. into their weird their weird illusion world mm-hmm. that they do to. Spencer, that's a movie that doesn't have a story. I, I, I know I said Rivet's my guy. I love the Rivet thing. It's three hours of just the stuff he does. I love Rivet. Have you guys seen Out One? I haven't seen it yet. No. Uh, I love the four-hour one he did with uh, 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 Boonwell guy. What's his name? Uh, Michelle Piccoli. The one from the 90s. Uh, I haven't seen it. Trevor. Joel, it's the one you said. It's 90 minutes of nudity, two and a half hours of art. Oh, uh, it's a revent movie? Yeah. Oh, hold on. 
uh, La LaBelle something. I always forget how you oh. say it. Oh, LaBelle with Michelle Piccoli and uh, yeah. uh, Possible. Oh, yes. Emmanuel Baird. Okay, I've seen that one. LaBelle Le, Le the beautiful... Nuisance. Nuisance. Uh, uh, that one's also great. And No, it's a, fa it's a fantastic movie. It's just... It's, it's a lot of nudity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sustained, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Like just endless, like, painting. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, are there any other Godard that you could recommend that, like, would open it up? Or, oh, or, 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 or am I a lost cause? Well, I mean, the fact that you like Viroslav V, I mean, that's, I mean... That's one of his best, so I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no need to uh, um, try and convert yourself. You know, if we all get to to have our our ones we like and not. But let me let me you know what? Let me think. Since you're since you're asking me, what's what's the Godard that's the the gateway drug if 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 there was one? I feel like Breathless isn't the gateway drug for a lot of people. It's just yeah. for for some reason. It's. Uh, I feel like maybe I was too old. I'd seen too much that influenced already. Yeah, like like it wasn't something. Um, the, the same way that a lot of like, <laughs> as a bad example, but like Oscar movies, like American Beauty, like now seem so fucking stupid that like they got, you know, hundreds of copycats, and and then you just start to see the flaws and kind of thing. And like it, your reaction, Randall, of like, this this jackass made this movie. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah. that is kind of how I felt, <laughs> but not not that I could make a better movie or make the same version of that movie. It's just like, uh, okay, good try on the first, good try on the first try. Uh, Joel, they on. did make a better version. It stars Richard Gere. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Let's uh, watch that right now. Spencer, uh, have you seen A Woman Is a Woman? Uh, no. Okay, that's the one that I, I would recommend. That's my other favorite, probably right below um, Contempt. And that is the honeymoon movie of him uh, meeting and marrying Anna Karina. So uh, before he made A Woman is a Woman, which is his second one to be released, he actually made a movie, um, The Little Soldier, which got banned by the French government. Um, and that's where he first had Anna Karina in like a smaller part, and they met and they connected and blah, blah, blah. By the time of a woman is a woman, they've fallen in love as much as they would anyway. And this is a movie where he first, for the first time, has color, for the first time has cinemascope. Um, and it's a musical, sort of. Uh, there is singing. There is sort of uh, dancing. Um, yeah. And it is him, like, if Godard was ever happy, and if he was ever funny mm. and charming and young, that was then. That, that's the movie. Uh, wait, Joel, is that why you don't like it? Because it's a musical? No, no, no. It, it it's it's like a less good, way less good version of a of a Jacques Demi movie, in my opinion. That's a uh, fair descriptor. It, <laughs> yeah, because like it is, it's Anna's movie. Like the the camera cannot not be focusing on her, and it's. I don't have a real problem with that necessarily. It's just, at some certain point, I just. Like you say about two or three things I know about her, I just stopped caring. You know, uh, there there were little details that like I still remember about the movie. Like you you can't not remember uh, her doing her job as 
the you know singing the songs and, and kind of like waltzing her way around the bar that she works at or whatever and like her interactions with her her uh husband who is you know he's a typical french jackass mm-hmm. but yeah. there's still like these little intimacies that they have like uh, i remember uh something me and sarah or my partner have, have discussed a couple of times like getting into bed but brushing off your feet before you put your feet into the bed kind of thing that's like an extra little detail that like because it's a, a movie set you know it's not our bed anyways why would you even bother to do that but it's like a real life thing that i appreciated but still i'm i'm I, i'm middle of the road on it but okay I, I'm so, middle road on most of the Godard. This is this movie. Two or three things I know about her is like the exception for some reason. That's okay. fine. So, so a no on King Lear. No, uh, I want to watch it. <laughs> oh, you're talking about? Oh, you're talking to Randall. You yeah, should. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you should watch King Lear, but I I wouldn't expect to uh, um, have it be any sort of revolution. I mean, oh, it's okay. uh, it's 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 the same as this, except more extreme. It in its mm. assault on the audience and it's almost um intentionally offensive it's almost like trying to do you harm you're oh. making me think of uh uh dogma nine to five what's that guy's name <laughs> oh Lars? yeah Barton Trier. yeah von Trier. yeah yeah a little bit of that yeah but i, I like lars Morton. um uh, oh i know um, you do yeah lars is well his movies are great as a person i don't know what, what the, who's the person who's persona at this point or maybe he's always been this asshole mm. it, it's a mystery sometimes i think you bounce off of movies that are sad and boring <laughs> right right and i under like anyone who tells me i don't want to watch a boring movie of course you don't want to do that I, i'm the idiot who's like well i don't care I'll, I'll i'll muscle my way through because i like have this secret chest checklist inside my head you know like oh got that that's another bonus point for joel you know, um, but specifically, like if it's just a, like a sad movie, you, you'll watch it and then you'll you'll mm-hmm. take time to recover. Um, and but if it's sad and boring, it's like mm, that's a toxic combination. You're you're stuck yeah. in its world for too long. Yeah, it just slips out of your brain. You're like, eh, I've got enough misery. I don't need whatever this is. <laughs> and I think it's too much of just one character too. If it's just too much of one character doing stuff, then I kind of check out real hard. Mm-hmm. This lady kind of looks like my uh, Marina Vladi. She she looks like my mother when uh, she was younger, with the kind of reddish hair. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be mean, but she does her the way her eyebrows are shaped. I li- I like how it constantly looks like she's incredulous. Like, oh really? <laughs> We're going to be doing this scene right now, oh, whatever I, you say. Oh, her eyebrows to me look like real 90s eyebrows, like my sister had those like oh, really those pluck thin. Fucking eyebrows. tiny, <laughs> tiny thin. Yeah, they were also non-existent on her when <laughs> when she was younger. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope my nieces don't develop that habit from, from her mom. <laughs> eyebrows are in right now there's a there's a lot of musical artists that are are pretty popular women that have thicker eyebrows and i think that's uh, (laughs) something that i've noticed and am personally a fan of but uh i grew up in the 90s being like why (laughs) you heard it here invest in eyebrows if you want joel's approval no you know what come here give me a hug 
internet. All right. Hugs so, um, <laughs> Spencer's like moving on. Yeah, this movie. Sorry, yeah, this movie's available. It's Godard. You can watch. Well, it, it, sorry for phrase that. It's the early Godard, so that means it's easily available. The late later stuff is not as easily available, nah, at least yeah. in America. So, uh, yeah, you, uh, two or three things are still in that er- era of you can you can find it if it if uh, I don't know if you're into it if you want to try out like the late era stuff based what you sound what you said like see if you're into late era Godard maybe check this out if you haven't really mm. dove into it and this uh, is him sort of easing into it because I mean there is still an ostensible story and characters so yeah if this could be the gateway for those who are wanting to to check out later period Godard. I, I feel like if you are the person that likes uh oh what was that that those two movies by that director Oh Romare? Yes. If you're if you're Romare head, you oh. might enjoy at least the philosophical side of this, like give it a chance. Yeah, I, um, did, I didn't care for that stuff. It was, it was a little too like, I don't know what you're talking about, and this is boring. Yeah. Like Claire's I, knee specifically. Like, come on. <laughs> I, yeah, I forgot that. to mention him. I, I, I like I like him as well. But yeah, it's, oh, just, I'm sorry. it's just talking all day long. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm I'm comfortable with uh, knowing <laughs> that these French New Wave movies, you know, they're, uh, you turn them a little bit to the side, and it's uh, uh, it's not so great, you know. The, the, yeah, the yeah. angle you bring to it <laughs> reveals some some lack in in mm. each and every one of them. None of these are Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. I like my night at mods, but I love Jean Louis, so that's kind of the reason I connect with that movie. <laughs> I mean, that movie's interesting, at least. Yeah, that, that for is God's true. Sake. And it's Jean Louis, right. he's great in everything. Mm. I think Mod is great. Yeah, she's great, but that's not the reason I wanted to watch it. I've never seen her before. How dare you? I was in it for my main man. Mm. Okay, so Randall, you're you're a teacher. Yes. Also, right? Yep. Uh, Your student comes up and they say, should I watch two or three things I know about her? No, uh... Uh, I would I would probably laugh a little bit, like, good-naturedly, and then, you Uh know, it depends on what the, you know, by that time hopefully i know what the student likes and what they've seen before and i can tell them whether they uh probably need to start somewhere a little bit less crazy or um whether they're ready to sort of jump in on it and try and have a good time with it um but i don't think it's sort of like hey let's try this french new wave thing out let's watch two or three things i know about her like i don't think it's (laughs) that's not the that's not the intro no (laughs) yeah if I was that student, I would ignore that because my inc- instinct is always, I want to jump into deep end first and then yeah. go with the starter stuff, which which is, might be why I I didn't watch Rich Anyway for a long time because I watched like, uh, I watched Alphaville, which I don't I think it's fine, but I didn't connect with. It. I was like maybe I should not watch these movies <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is um this is definitely uh. uh one that's you know further further along in the sort of story of the of Godard and the French New Wave and all of that, but you know um, I I don't know we didn't really refer to its critical um, 
the way that it, it's been accepted. But to some people, this is like peak Godard. To to some people, this is his among his very best. This is um, the best of his uh, um, essay form era. Um, you know, it, it got a handful of votes even in the um, sight and sound poll. Um, mm. 16 from critics and three from directors. I'm looking here on the, the Wikipedia page, but I, 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 you know, it, it has a reputation. It has a reputation of being, um, being one of his, his top movies. Yeah. As for, yeah, yeah. If you're a dork, go check this movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's, it's Scorsese. I, I yeah, it's Scorsese approved, if that is anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess I'll watch it. <laughs> I think Scorsese I've... does a great job of taking. I mean, it's from a lot of Godard movies, but he does the thing sometimes where it abruptly cuts to a still image from like a yes. painting or something. Um, and you know, he does that, and it's unremarked upon. I think by normal audiences, they just sort of accept it. But it is kind of a crazy convention that uh, is very Godard. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, taxi driver moment of uh, the the of the cream oh, or yeah. the coffee or whatever. You know, the yeah, obvious he said thing. that specifically from it. Yeah, it, I feel like who's who's that knocking on my door? And uh, Mean Streets have a very breathless feel with the whole uh, dude walking around the town being a being a jackass. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not what that movie's about. But it's got this like free flowing feeling, right? That's the interconnected pieces that may or may not be a complete story thing. Yeah, jagged edges of somebody's completed movie. He just chopped out the parts that he thought were cool looking and put them together. I, I think it's. I think in a lot of cases, um, younger filmmakers who kind of had a better grasp on story came along and sort of took all the tools that Godard had sort of pioneered and sort of worked out the kinks of, and they sort of put them to, uh, you know, in their own way, more effective ends, at least narrative-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, like, first, if I don't like this, why do I like Pasolini so much? Because Pasolini, his layer stuff is so cold and... Uh, like his first few movies are, are have like actual stories and character, but by by late sixties, like he kind of doesn't bother with narrative, like normal narrative or or like a a warmness anymore. But I still like the late era, uh, mm. like like polit- like leftist, uh, cold art like art film era of him. Mm. I think you just like Pasolini better as a person too. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's yeah, he's more know. coherent in terms of ideology, maybe because I think even at his coldest, most uh, people hating, which is obviously Solo, like yeah. it's quite clear um, that he has he has some sort of uh, figured out perspective that he's bringing to it, and he's he's aimed aimed like a laser at hitting certain points. Whereas Godard is trying to figure out what he thinks, even as he's making the movie. So, like he, in his narration, he's even like doubting himself at times and like rambling clearly. So, like Godard does not have that um, political uh, confidence that 
uh, Pasolini definitely has. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, all right, so we can ramble on for a while, but I have to go to bed soon. Uh, I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's No, it's fine. I'm surprised we ended up talking as long as we did, because uh, I know uh, when when it's something that you would just slides out of your brain, <laughs> like, sometimes it's like, yeah, I think I'm uh, 45. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> should I... Uh, should I list out the other uh, 1967 films that I've uh, uh, gathered here? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I, I can make it quick so you can get on to bed. <laughs> um, uh, so first I'm going to say La Chinois, which is the next Godard film, which came out the same year because busy, busy, busy. And uh, there's not much more to say about Godard, I think, at this point, except that he gets even more political, even more um, um far away from any sort of narrative sense that you can understand. And then, um, uh, going to a totally different thing, there is Young Girls of Rochefort, which is Jacques uh, Demi at, uh, at I think, his best. Um, I think it's even better than Young Girls of... Um, you mean uh, Umbrellas? Than Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Um, and it's, uh, it's ambitious. It's kind of like playtime in the fact that it's like this giant widescreen epic of like a city and lots of characters coming in and out and all this stuff. Um, and it's the romantic, um, the sense of romantic longing and loss is even subtler and even tastier than it is in um, Umbrellas. And then um, uh, moving quick here, uh, we got uh, Bedazzled, which is Stanley Donnan, who is you know the king of the American musicals back in the Freed unit in, uh, in the 50s and all that. But uh, he went to Europe and made a handful of masterpieces I think that are um, that show that he actually had even more in him and he had a sort of narrative innovation to him um, and bedazzled is him working with um, Dudley Moore and um, oh man the other guys for uh, uh, um, skipping my brain but uh, bedazzled is this great mod London uh, um, uh, swing in 60s comedy about a guy who makes a deal with the devil to try and get um, with this woman, and every time he makes a wish, the devil uh, ruins the wish in some way. But it's very funny and very stylish and interesting. And last of all is Branded to Kill, which is Seijin Suzuki. I don't know if I'm saying his first name right, but uh, uh, that's him uh, uh, with making the movie that I think got him fired, if that's right. I think you guys know, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Branded to Kill. Yeah, that's the one that the Nikatsu was finally like, all right, get the hell out of here. And um, there's plenty of butterflies. There's plenty of... Um, um, people who uh, the main character who gets turned on by eating rice or by the smell of rice, and um, it's it's crazy and it's uh, a whole lot of fun. So those are my four. Yeah, it's uh, I won't say it's, it's peak Shishido, but it's it's still great Shishido. He pe- he peaked a few years earlier back because he kind <laughs> Brand- kind of, kind of ruined his career for a little bit. Yeah. Brandy Kill ruined his career for a bit. Uh, yeah, because he quit the studio in solidarity, and then he realized, mm. oh, I need to work, and so he kind of had to re-figure out uh, his place in the in the movie industry over there. Wow, I didn't know and that. He had like he had like a cooking show, and he had cookbooks and stuff. Like he did a lot of stuff after that, trying to stay relevant. I I mean it. Uh, Anytime he's ref- uh, mentioned, it 
one has to say uh, those are some incredible cheeks he uh, he got done oh, yeah. there. Yeah, and, real legend. Uh, yeah, just right away he's some sort of in- insane screen presence. Uh, <laughs> uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So mine are the presence analysis. It's a political comedy. And it's, I believe, the first uh, uh, major role. I think he had been on the show before, but of Godfrey Cambridge, who is an actor and comedian I'm a huge fan of. And uh, he died tragically young. He had a heart attack on the set of a TV movie um, where he was playing Idi Amin. Uh, uh, I think six years later or seven years later. It wasn't that long. But anyway... um, but the movie stars James Coburn, and it's this kind of, uh, it seems like very 60s, but by the end it feels kind of really relevant in some strange ways that I did not see coming. And uh, yeah, everyone should uh, definitely track this movie down. if you. It, it's not creaky and like old-fashioned, it's pretty forward-thinking in some ways, but it's still, a, still is of its era. And uh, I Am Curious Yellow, a, like a, an art political a useful mm-hmm. movie from Sweden. I uh, I don't remember too much from it. It's been a couple of years, but it really stuck with me, and I, 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 uh, I don't know. I I just really, really dug this movie. I don't know what else to say about it. That that's a movie that has a lot in common with two or three things, in my opinion. Yeah, I haven't it's, seen it's... I haven't seen I'm Curious Blue yet. I've only seen Yellow. Yeah. Because it's not really a story. It's no. Just a, hmm, arty, art, art, art stuff. Yeah. We we must have talked about sixty seven at some point. We did. Okay. Probably when we did. Probably when we did Branded to Kill, back in the day or something like that. Yeah. And this is this is like the the new Hollywood year. You know, like the Graduate came out. Bonnie and Clyde. I guess you or uh, in the heat of the night. Um, the, but if I had to, I, I I guarantee this is the same movie I recommended way back in the day. So I'm I'm just gonna say it again because I still feel like it's criminally underwatched and people need to watch it. It's it's a movie called A Cult Is My Passport, oh. starring Joe Shishido. Nice. And it's a, uh, here's, the description is a gang lord hires uh, Kamimura, a hitman, to take out rival boss, a rival boss who's gotten greedy. It, it, it is such a stylish action movie, like, uh, and Joe Shishido is, is a cool, you know, hitman dude in it. And they, I, I just remember, like, really dynamic cinematography and filmmaking, and, and this was, like, one of the jumping into the deep end of Japanese movies uh, for the like noir style stuff that I never heard about before. And uh, there's an ending sequence with uh, Joe Shishido versus Carr that is fucking fantastic. And like, I know some action movies, people uh, from more recent eras must have seen this movie and like, it was stealing shots and shot ideas from it or something like that. But 
uh, I, I have a hard time getting people to watch any weird named Japanese movie. I say, but <laughs> Occult is my is my passport is a really really good movie, and uh, it might be I think it's on Criterion right now. Yeah, it's on Criterion Channel. <sighs> so check that one out. I think I've seen it, but you know I don't really know, so I should probably rewatch it. I mean, I I, I went on a long sort of run of 60s yakuza movies and you know after a while you know watching too many of them uh uh, it does start to blend together so it is it is interesting to hear you sort of single out this one so i think i might check it out again yeah i think it's good um otherwise there are two movies that I watched because they were on the by NWR website, which is, uh, uh, what's his name? The director of Drive, oh. Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah. Uh, and they're still up there. If you go to bynwr.com, there's this, like, all uh, uh, curated movies and, like, articles written about the creators of these movies that had like lost time and things like that. Uh, Spencer, I really think you would dig some of the stuff that he's got on there. Cause they've got these like John Waters feel to them. Just, just a, a, a trashiness that you can, you can't help but admire. Yeah. So I, I watched a few movies on there. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Shanty Tramp? Uh, no. That's, that's one of them. 1967. Um, it's about, a, a woman who lives in a shanty town who is, a, uh, I guess, loose morals is, is what you'd say, and uh, it's it's just kind of like a, a dark, weird movie. Um, from what I remember, it doesn't get rapey, which is one of my things. Like if it gets rapey, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to recommend this. Um, but it is it is interesting because it's it's low budget. The some of the actors are obviously not actors with a capital a but it it still turned out to be a a very interesting and i'd even say good watch at the time i i I have to revisit it and then there's another one on by nwr from the same year called hot thrills and warm chills which is terrible Uh, i gave it one out of five stars but it is it's an interesting thing to see because uh from what I remember, the movie is not a, it's not complete because the film uh, parts have been lost. And so they just kind of assembled uh, most of what they had. And bad acting, uh, <laughs> terrible, terrible storyline. It's still worth watching. And it's free. It's it's free if you go to that website. You don't have to pay. You just have to uh, sign up with your email address. Yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of stuff on there that's it, it's notable, even if it's not good. Mm-hmm. All right, this will episode episode will come out in December. Uh, so, uh, Randall, what uh, a movie like what? Uh, are you doing more festivals uh, around uh, then? Or? Yeah, shall I do my my plug? Uh, yeah, myself yeah. plug at this point, All I guess. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you have this coming out in December. That's a great fit because my movie, The Monsters Without, 
um, is it, it's a feature film, and it's playing at the Another Hole in the Head Film Festival in San Francisco. Uh, so it's going to have a screening on the 11th of December there at the New People Cinema in Japantown. But it's also going to be uh, streaming online during that uh, from the 1st to the 15th. So for a whole half of the month, it'll be streaming online on their website. It's $10, I think, for a virtual ticket to check it out. So I highly recommend it. Um, you know, if you can make it out to the theater, the, that's the best way. But of course, uh, that's just one location in the whole country. And meanwhile, the whole world can see it online. So, you know, uh, go ahead and check it out there. It's a monster movie all shot in the Philippines. It's a genre uh, a picture done on a pretty low budget. Um, and, you know, it's trying to be all sorts of things. It's supposed to be thrilling and, uh, uh, um, you know, creature feature, uh, at the same time as giving a lot of love to these, to the characters of it. It's an ensemble piece. There's seven, uh, people on this team called Faze, whose job is to sort of research the monsters and defend humanity and all that. And, uh, we really get into it. It's supposed to be in the spirit of like a 1960s Godzilla movie, um, uh, that sort of feel hopefully but in a modern era okay and uh in your other feature films that of um streaming available uh, yes um yeah so i also have my uh my previous film called far away and it's available pretty much anywhere you want to stream movies from uh it's not uh free on any service anymore it used to be on amazon prime video but now it's like a three dollar rental on iTunes, Amazon, Google, all those things. And what it's also shot in the Philippines. It's a fun adventure movie. I recommend seeing it on Amazon, which is where they got the subtitles right. Oh, and uh, my, <laughs> my last uh, uh, plug is I have a short film called No Dogs, which um, it's uh, not currently in any festivals. It just finished playing at the Philadelphia Asian American Film Festival and hopefully will be in some more festivals in January. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, I don't know. I've I've mentioned it plenty of times. My movie from Hell episode on animation might be out by now or not. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I will be on movies from Hell in the future. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, arbitrary indiscriminate movie podcast. Uh, we'll have multiple episodes up by then. You're not going to remember that name. It's just like two, th- two or three things I know about her. <laughs> You'll hear me say arbitrary, indiscriminate podcast, and it will just slip off of your brain like the fine oil, you know, so- something like a, I don't know, a pecan oil, you know, something to give a good shine to your brain school. Anyways, uh, so I assume by this point we'll have the episode Jackass 3D and then the episode on <laughs> Junior and uh, maybe even uh, further episodes, but y- you know we've got already got four in the can. We've got plans for more. It's me, Spencer, and our friend Melanie Daniels. Yeah, nice. That's it. That's what I say. I I forgot to mention, by the way, that Joel is in the Monsters Without. He he has a a role, a voice role. So you will hear his his lovely tones uh in the movie if you check it out he's a a narrator who shows up probably i think six or seven minutes into the movie but it's unmistakable so Mm -hmm. that's why i got that special award at the uh can film festival the other year exactly pretty cool yes Mm. i don't know why you cut out my full frontal nudity part though it it was a hard decision (laughs) 
uh, on that note, um, <laughs> uh, the next episode will either be Mad Love, the Zulowski movie, or it will be Possession, or it'll be something else. It depends on uh, what ha- what what I have edited already uh, around this time. So uh, yeah, Randall, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, uh, you can come back anytime you want. Sweet. Uh, we're gonna. I, never mind. I don't say weekend, but we have too many people on on that episode already. <laughs> That'll have to be a non-cast episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, it, I'll I'll hit you guys up when uh when yeah. I see you're sort of inching towards one of my subject matters. I saw you guys were on Godard. I was like, ooh ooh ooh, gotta get mm-hmm. gotta get in on this. This is definitely the longest conversation I've ever had about two or three things I know about her. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, get, it, get it out of your system. Right yeah, you can recommend. A lot. Yeah, uh, you can also recommend something, and I'll probably say yes. Uh, one rule, well, two rules are no Campbell movies, no Antonioni. Besides Cannibal. that, ca- Cannibal. Cannibal. Oh, okay. Yeah, no Antonioni? Done. Wait, do you don't, not like Antonioni? Not, not at all. <laughs> not one listen, you can listen to the previous four episodes. Oh. <laughs> you should. You should. Orson Welles has some good interviews tearing into him. You should. Uh, oh man. Check those out. Yeah, he loves it. He loves to tear into everyone though, and it's always <laughs> great. <laughs> All right. Uh, see you guys next time for whatever it is I have edited around the uh, uh, to come out. Yay. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art, sarahkathleenroberts.com. And thank you for listening.